Hi, and welcome to the Unveiled Podcast, where we discuss all things related to women to help us think more Christianly in every area of life. I'm Sandy, and I'm here with Susie. Susie's passion is for biblical counseling, theology, and ministry to women. My training is in music and education, and we get to serve together at our local church, and we've been friends for over 20 years. So it's interesting, our last podcast was about being prepared, and we talked a lot about not being overcommitted, and I just want to share that um, I was overcommitted and (laughs) not feeling fully prepared. So, um, you know, I just appreciate all of you for joining me for my personal counseling session with Susie, and clearly um, I need to go back and re-listen to that one, but... um, I don't have it all together, and I'm really thankful that we are able to study God's Word, to apply it to our lives, and have these types of conversations with other believers um, in small groups, and we can wrestle through some of the things that we struggle with as a, as a community. So um, today we get to look at Proverbs 31:25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. So let's look at strength and dignity are her clothing. This woman has confidence about her. It's not based on herself. It's not reliant on other people. And when we think of people of dignity, we don't see uh, weakness. Actually, weak, weak people do not carry themselves with dignity. There is strength in her character. She has an unshakable faith and trust in God, and it gives her the capacity, the strength to face and withstand adversity to not be swayed by culture, and to stand firmly on her beliefs. And we've seen many Christians recently fail to show a strength of character and end up wearing fear as their clothing instead. How can we be strong in a culture of compromise? And I'm thinking um, the gender stuff, pronouns, cohabitation, public education even, um, or simply just going with the flow. Yeah, good question. And uh, Sandy, every time I speak, I'm also speaking to myself. And sometimes I'm like, as I'm talking and saying things, I'm like, okay, I need to maybe reevaluate <laughs> what's going on in my life. So it's it's a good thing. I love mm-hmm. talking about God's word because every time I talk about God's word, it's, yeah, it's to benefit others, but it's also benefiting mm-hmm. me. And that's the power of God's word. So it's a beautiful thing. And yeah, how do we... Um, become women who are women who are clothed in strength and dignity. And absolutely, we uh, know that it starts in the heart. And a lot of our podcasts talk about different characteristics that a woman of um, character has, a woman who is seeking to fear the Lord with her life. And so today we're actually going to maybe talk a little bit more about the physical expression of that. Uh, but it definitely does start with knowing who we are, and we need to know whether we are a child of God or a child of the devil. And there's only two options. We either belong to one or the other. And then therefore, we need to live accordingly, and our life needs to represent God in everything. And so as we look at culture and we look at how our culture is confusing gender, we go back to God's word and we say, I'm not going to just go along to get along. I'm not just going to be quiet because culture is telling me that I need to accept the various genders and um, whatever people's personal preferences, I need to go along with that. No, 
God created male and female, and therefore when I think about gender, when I refer to gender, whether it's pronouns or speaking to anybody else, I refer to them in the way that they were created. So if they were born as a man, then I think of them as a man, and I refer them to them as a man. And we can't compromise that. Uh, we have to be strong in that, knowing who our God is. I am a child of God, and therefore I represent God. He created two genders, and therefore I represent that in my life. Uh, and then when it comes to cohabitation, it's surprising how this is the new, not I shouldn't say the new norm. I think it's been going on for a long mm-hmm. time. But even within Christians, more and more people are comfortable with that and sliding into that. And we have to say, no, I'm going to be different. I am going to stay pure and modest until my wedding day. And I am not going to compromise this. I'm not going to live with my boyfriend or my fiance. I'm not going to go on overnight vacations with my boyfriend, um, just the two of us, unless there's accountability where you're in separate locations, right? Uh, when it comes to public education, there's a, a lot of trouble happening in the public system. And Sandy, you know very much more about that than I do as a public school teacher in the past. But there's a lot of concerns and parents need to be bold in making decisions. And that probably includes some sacrifice because if you're used to being able to send your kids off to school and not really think about it, both mother and father go to work. Uh, we can't live that way anymore. We need to be very involved in our kids' education and that will require uh, sacrifice. And so in all of life, every decision that we make, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our church, whether it's at work, in our neighborhoods, with our families, we are called to represent God. We need to know who we belong to. It's about identity. Who are we identifying with? And uh, if we are identifying with God, we can move forward with confidence and truth. And we don't have to live in fear, regardless of what people will say when we oppose them, when we resist what is going on in culture, when mm-hmm. we don't allow them to silence us. It's okay. We are representing God, and he will give us the strength to do that. And he's given us the truth to guide us. Um, and then I'm just thinking here even about... Uh, the way that we we dress in our outward appearance. And as much as we as Christians usually like to talk about the inward beauty and inward heart, what's going on in the heart, I think it's also very relevant for us as Christians, as women, to talk about our outer beauty and how we uh, display our outward which is really a reflection of what's going on in the inward. And so I did want to talk a little bit about a theology of beauty and modesty, and although it's rooted in our identity in the heart, it is very much displayed in how we dress and how we live. And so I thought this would be our perfect opportunity to talk about this. And of course, as summer is uh, here, I think, are we in summer yet? It must be summer. We hit hit officially summer. Uh, I missed that. I was on uh, away last (laughs) week. So, but we're officially in summer and it's hot and we need to know how do we dress mm. with modesty mm-hmm. and beauty, showing that we are women of dignity. And I think if we can dress as beautiful feminine women, but still be modest, like how much clearer can we display that we are women who fear God, women who are women of strength and dignity mm-hmm. when we're able to do that, mm-hmm. right? Because really to be immodest it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of insecurity and trying to draw attention to yourself or maybe just 
being very socially unaware of how immodesty affects other people or selfish because we're just thinking about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, the way we dress actually is important. Mm -hmm. And I think for a few generations, the Christian culture did not want to talk about that because they were so focused on the inward. But once again, I do believe that the outward is an expression of what's going on in the inward. And so we need to start with the fact that God is the author of life and therefore he has authority over our bodies. He has authority over our lives and our gender. And so as women, we want to learn how to dress with feminine beauty without compromising our modesty. And because we are following God's ways, we do not apologize and we do not compromise that ever. And so let's talk a little bit about who God is and what kind of a ruler he is. Because if we were called to follow him, I think it's very helpful knowing who he is. And let's start with the fact that he is um, what true beauty is is all about. He is the author of true mm -hmm. beauty. And so uh, we're going to talk about the theology of beauty and modesty because we are designed to reflect the beauty of God. We are not designed to reflect fear or compromise. And so starting with the fact that God is the source of beauty and the creator of beauty, <coughs> we see in Psalm 19.1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. God has revealed his beauty to us in all of creation and his beauty should inspire awe and worship in our hearts. You see, it starts by surrendering to God's rule. And very basically, as women, we surrender to the fact that we are female and that God has also made men, but we are female. And uh, we respect life. We respect life in the womb and we respect life in sickness. No matter what, we recognize that God is the author of life and we do not take life. Um, when I was uh, studying this, I came to Psalm 50 verse 2 and it struck me when it said, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, that should catch mm -hmm. our attention, the perfection of beauty. So if this is described as the perfection of beauty and I want to know what beauty is all about, then I need to take heed and I need to listen. Uh, it says, God shines forth. So out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Psalm 50 verse 2. So when I looked into this, uh, I found that Zion is the place of God's rule. The Faith Life Bible study says that Zion is described as the place where God has established his anointed king. Yahweh rules from Zion. So if Zion is the place of beauty, we need to know what kind of ruler dwells there because it's in Zion that our ruler lives. And so what kind of a God is he? What kind of a ruler is he? Well, we know that God is a very benevolent ruler. He is gracious, he is kind, and he is well-meaning. And he is a God who establishes peace. That means we do not need to be people who are afraid or people who compromise. He, we have peace. He is a God who protects us. He's a God who restores us. He's a God who fulfills his promises to us. And he is present with his people. He's also victorious. He's victorious over sin. He's victorious over death. And he's victorious over evil. And we also know that he is wrathful and vengeful towards sin. And in the end, he will punish all evil that hasn't been covered by the blood of Jesus. And then lastly, he is a, a God who delights when his people submit to his rule. 
And when I think about that, that's the kind of ruler I want to follow. I am able to follow and trust. Mm. Those are good things. Like that's, that's what I want in a leader. And he is the ultimate leader. And so God's rule is the image of perfect beauty. And we, his image bearers, have been redeemed to reflect him. And so we can confidently say that the heart that is ruled by God reflects the beauty of God. And so as we move forward here, um, we recognize that we are image bearers. And so once again, who do we represent? Second uh, Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Mm-hmm. So the moment we get saved, the moment we turn to him and our face is unveiled, we see his full glory and he begins transforming us into that. And we're designed to reflect him. So an image bearer is one who reflects the glory of another. And God has created us in his image, in his likeness, to reflect his beauty. He doesn't ask us to hide it or to deny it. And we can keep this in mind as we continue talking about a theology of beauty and modesty. I think it'll keep us from becoming legalistic or self-righteous in our pursuit of modesty. Because certainly, I think many people reject the idea of modesty because it becomes a list of rules and um, it's just an outward thing people do, but it hasn't actually taken root in their heart. Mm -hmm. And so let's remember that any conversations we're having about modesty or about outward beauty, it's all about God's glory. It's not about us. And so um, we know that it can easily become about us because sin has distorted his image in us. And now we often seek our own glory rather than turning to God and seeking to live for his glory. Uh, But as image bearers, it's our job to bring him glory. And we do this by submitting to him. When we know who he is, the natural outcome really should be a joyful surrender and, and worship, adoration of him. And it's when we take our eyes off of him and listen to our other influences or our own heart that we begin to resist his rule and make life all about us rather than for him. So we do recognize that being an image bearer starts in the heart. And uh, so we need to daily be asking ourselves, who am I worshiping today? Whose eyes am I on? Are my eyes focused upward towards the Lord or are my eyes focused inward to myself? And we need to remember and, and constantly redirect our minds to the fact that there is only one who is worthy of our worship, and it is Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone here that does not yet know him, I encourage you to, to get to know him, to recognize that you are a sinner. We are all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when we repent and put our faith in Jesus, it's like, turning to him he unveils our eyes and he forgives us and he invites us into our relationship with him and we become his image bearers and he helps us to reflect him and so it starts in the heart it starts by repenting and recognizing that he alone is worthy of our worship and he alone is able to save us from our sins but then being an image bearer is also reflected in our life and so that's where we're going to uh move to in in just a few moments Mm -hmm. Uh, but just some thoughts about where it starts 
who we are and the importance of understanding we are his image bearers and it starts by a relationship with him Mm. i love that reminder of the image bearer and um and honoring god in everything really um as our ruler so Susie, those who know you know that you love to get on your bike and uh, you love it so much that you get together with other riders uh, every week. And what stands out about the group that you bike with is how you dress. You are a group of fully clothed and modest athletic bikers in our Southern Ontario heat. You don't dress like the other athletes that you might see on the roads. There's nobody wearing sports bras as tops. Um, you know, the, the biking shorts are, are covered with looser shorts. And um, while we don't want to be legalistic in what we wear or what we expect from other women, we can and should still talk about dressing modestly. Uh, we had a talk on modesty at our conference for younger girls and teens in the fall, but maybe we can recap some of the points and talk about why it's important to be thinking about how we dress, especially as it's getting hotter. Absolutely. And this is a big question because uh, we do want to dress modestly, but also appropriately for the occasion. And so there's weddings. And so how do we Mm -hmm. dress appropriately for weddings, particularly in a day and age when many bridesmaids dresses or even brides gowns, there's just a lot of cleavage. Mm -hmm. And how do we cover that up? Or do we just go along with it? Mm -hmm. And I would say... Weddings aren't an exception. We still need to be Mm -hmm. modest at Mm -hmm. our weddings. Or when it comes to sports activities, like you said, I, um, at the beginning of the, our regular rides, I always post to our group saying, hey, these are the expectations. We're going to dress modestly. We're going to look differently. I want people to know that we are a different group. We're not women who are going to wear tight, short shorts or bra tops when we're exercising. I don't think that's a reflection of our creator. And... So it's about reflecting our creator, but also I know there's younger women that watch us Mm -hmm. and I want them to see that we are modest even when we bike. And then of course there's the, uh, the swimming pool. What do you do when you're at the beach Mm -hmm. or the swimming pool? So we're going to talk a little bit, but before we talk about the specifics, let's start with God's word, which, uh, in first Timothy two, nine to 12 gives us a really beautiful example of how we are to live and consider the clothes that we wear. So it starts by saying this, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel and modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let all women learn quietly with all submissiveness. And so we see here that we see a word. It says adorn. Women should adorn themselves. Adorn is a beauty word. When I see that, you're taking time, you're being thoughtful, you're decorating uh, yourself. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But how do we decorate ourselves? How do we um, adorn ourselves? in respectable apparel. And so all the things that we do should be respectable, should consider the people that are going to be in our presence, and it should make us look like women of dignity. And um, in self-control, it goes on to say, women who are dressed with modesty and self-control. And that means that we... We are intentional. We we think we're thoughtful about the clothes that we wear. We want to dress 
with feminine modesty. I've already mentioned that, but I think it's very important to stress that to be modest doesn't mean we look guyish. We don't look guyish. We want to make sure that we are dressing as women. And uh, whether you're 60, 80, 15, or 3, let's dress as women. And as moms, if we have young girls, let's teach them to dress with feminine modesty in that it's okay to wear dresses um, and it's okay to wear pink and we don't just have to wear gray and brown and big baggy clothes. Uh, Obviously, that's okay. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that, but we should also dress with modesty and with feminine beauty. Uh, I believe that portrays beauty and holiness. And so when people look at you, will they see that? Will they see a, a beauty? Will they see a holiness in your life? Once again, our lives should point to Jesus in everything. And when we keep in mind that we are image bearers and that it starts in the heart, we want to make sure that our actions and our clothing represents that. So the clothes that we wear, do they reflect that I am a child of God? Uh, or are they more of an expression of myself, right? Mm-hmm. The common terminology, just express mm-hmm. yourself, be true to yourself. Well, we, it's okay to have different personalities and interests. And I personally like brighter colors. So I might be more, you know, I- likely to wear bright colors. It's okay to have different personalities. But in that, we still want to reflect our creator. Or are we just reflecting our friends or our peer group? Are we looking more like them than we are concerned about looking like Christ? Uh, so let's just break that verse down, especially verses 9 and 10 a little bit more. I believe that uh, we need to know that our lives are meant to be lives of worship. And that's what this verse is talking about Um So once again, let's look at verses 9 and 10 where it says, Likewise, also women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. This passage of scripture, if you're looking in context, is really a passage about worship and, and how people are to act as they go to church and as they worship God. And so we can see here that good works are a reflection of worship. Uh, Good works don't save us, but they are a reflection of us worshiping our Savior. And I believe good works are also a part of stewardship. Stewards are caretakers, caretakers of God's creation. And we are part of God's creation, and therefore we are a big part of stewardship. So the way that we care for our bodies, even our outer beauty, is for God. Once again, it's not about me, but it's about God. And therefore, we can even say that beauty is a gift. It's not a sin. So if you are a naturally beautiful person, you like to wear beautiful clothes, it's not actually a sin unless it becomes a focus on that beauty. But if you're representing Christ, Christ is beautiful. He loves beauty. He designed beauty. So we don't need to be ashamed of it. And so we should take care of it. Um, so with that, we see that the Corinthian church, or the, the church that Paul was writing to in First Timothy, they uh, were women who were being distracting. The MacArthur Study Bible says this. It says, the women in the church were living impure and self-centered lives. So Paul called them out on a few specifics. Uh, in a f- um, 
few moments, we will do that too. Uh, I believe this is a bit biblical model of, of how we can do things with grace and with truth. Paul called the women out back in his day. So certainly I think we need to continue to follow that example. And I do want to stress that the reason uh, we continue to do that is because um, the things that don't change is God's desire for purity. He hates impurity. He hates self-centeredness. And they are not representative of a woman who professes godliness. And so once again, we are image bearers. We do not want to draw attention to self, but to God. And uh, we want to take care of our bodies and dress modestly. So we've already talked about the fact that in this verse, it uses the word adorn, which is a beauty word. Uh, it says modesty, uh, and modesty does not equal old-fashioned, but it does require us to be thoughtful and to be self-controlled and to be aware of our times. So back in the day that this letter was written, braided hair and gold and pearls and costly attire was what was drawing attention to self rather than to God. It was a distraction. And that's why Paul is calling those specific things out. And so we see here that this is a culturally relevant list. It was an issue that was something that was bothersome at that time. Uh, according to the MacArthur Study Bible, once again, these were practices that were causing distraction or discord in the church. They wore these things to draw attention to themselves and their wealth or their beauty. Uh, and so that's why these specific things are called out. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is drawing attention to ourselves? What is a distraction in our our society. We need to ask ourselves, what is proper for today? You see, in this verse, it says that women should look uh, or dress in accordance with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Um, it is a little bit different today than it was in Paul's day. We want to be careful here not to just excuse ourselves to wear whatever we want. But just like the Corinthian woman, we also do, or I, not the Corinthian woman, I keep saying that, the woman that Paul was addressing in 1 Timothy, we, we do need to make sure that we consider two things when we're determining modesty. And um, that is that we don't want to be self-centered. In other words, are we drawing attention to ourselves? And we don't want to be impure. So will my clothing be a stumbling block to those who are watching me? We want to be super practical here. And the things that I'm going to say, I'm going to get specific because I believe that was modeled to us by Paul. I, I do have a list of some things that I have heard and noticed can be a distraction, can be a temptation. And if we truly love our brothers and sisters in Christ and do not want to be a temptation to them and do not want to be um, a frustration or a distraction for them, we need to consider these things. It's not uh, the things that I'm going to say. They're not a Susie list and they're not even uh, a list that our Harvest Bible Chapels list. But I believe that as I look to culture, as I understand the way that a man's mind works, as I've heard the things that men say about temptation and distraction, uh, I think we need to talk about these things. And as women, we want to consider that. Certainly, we are not responsible for their thoughts if we have dressed appropriately. Mm -hmm. So men 
older men talk to younger men about their issues of the mind and if they have a lust issue or uh, temptations with inappropriate sexual thoughts men are speaking into the men's lives Mm -hmm. and they need to deal with that and need hard on that and and work on that so certainly uh, we're not dismissing that but let the men do that as women let's talk about how we can be women who as far as it depends on us are not being a distraction or a temptation and uh, so we we know that obviously tight clothes can be a distraction. Um, and so these are the, the lists, the things that I'll talk to women about, or even in my biking group, these are the things that we say, because once again, it's not about me. Like it doesn't really, I don't really care what you're wearing, but I do care how it affects my brothers in Christ Mm -hmm. and I love them and I want to protect them and I want to help them live purely Mm -hmm. without being an unnecessary distraction. And so crop tops that showed the midriff and I know those are super common, super popular. And it's, you know, when you're going to go shopping for yourself or your kids, you're going to see a lot of that. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to find things that are different and they're, they're kind of cute, right? But that doesn't mean they're appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's the booty shorts. I think most girls, maybe, I don't know. Do we do we all agree that they're inappropriate? But let's just agree together that booty shorts are inappropriate. And super tight clothes that cling to your body. Things like leggings or yoga pants, workout shorts. And once again, like, uh, I know they're super popular. But how can you be as modest as possible and still be involved in athletics instead of uh, stretching the limits and being just as tight in your clothing and short shorts as everybody else. I think even when you're playing volleyball or running, if your shorts go down to the mid thigh, I don't think that's going to hinder you any more than if they're up a little bit higher. And even if it does, do you rather want to be immodest or win the race? Mm-hmm. I think we need to ask ourselves. Yeah. that question uh, and so if we do wear the tighter shorts um, find a shirt that y- covers up the butt and the pelvic area those are the temptations right mm-hmm. like those are the sexual parts of our body so just wear something big and loose up top if, if that's uh, something that you prefer to wear uh, I think there's ways that we can get around it mm-hmm. and then of course uh, cleavage I think we all know that um and if you are wearing a shirt that has a lower top, wear a tank top underneath. Mm-hmm. Or if you bought a dress, like actually I just put in some mesh to cover up some cleavage for some bridesmaids dresses that are, um, my daughters will be in to cover it up, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's options that we have. And I even sewed in a little, um, a few stitches to make the slit less long. Mm-hmm. And this was my girls coming to me, asking me for this. So I was very thankful for that. Mm-hmm. And and then there's the bikinis. And I always find that this is the sensitive topic because, well, first of all, who finds a bathing suit comfortable? Who finds <sighs> a bathing suit, especially once it's wet and you have to go to the bathroom yeah. and pull it off? Like, I get it. It's, it's uncomfortable. But walking around with just a little bikini top and a bikini bottom that would be super uncomfortable as well but even more than that I don't care how long bikinis have been around 
they are a temptation. Mm -hmm. They are sexually attractive to men. Men have been designed to love the naked body. And that's not evil. God designed them that way. But it's because God designed them to love their wife's naked body. Mm -hmm. They were never meant to see another woman's naked body. And so in the context of marriage, for a man to see his wife's naked body or almost naked body is a beautiful thing. It's actually designed by God. Mm -hmm. And so for men to find beauty and sexual attractiveness in a naked body is actually God's design. Mm -hmm. We're the ones that mess it up by showing our naked bodies to men who are not our husbands. And... And so I just really encourage women to really consider the swimwear that they they use and how they use it. Swimwear is meant to be used for swimming. And I understand you're not going to put jeans and a sweatshirt on when you're jumping into a pool, right? Uh, but once you come out of the pool, like, are you flaunting around? Are you showing off your body? Are you taking pictures and posting it on social media? The moment you post even even a bathing suit Mm -hmm. picture on social media, you have become an image, a sexual image to the men that are watching that. And once again, let's not call men evil for that. Men have been designed that way so that they can have good sexual relationships in the context of marriage. It's us, our human beings that have made this an evil thing that have, have, shown off our bodies to people that we shouldn't be showing our bodies off to. And so I would say, I don't think women should be wearing bikinis. I think we know enough that they are a sexual temptation to men. They see too much of your body. Mm -hmm. But let's not just say, well, I won't wear a bikini then. I'll just wear anything but. Let's not just, once again, make this a rule Um, saying that bikinis are wrong, but I can wear whatever one piece that I want. Mm -hmm. And even if it shows a whole bunch of cleavage or it rides up, you know, high Mm -hmm. up my uh, thighs, like whatever it might be. If you're showing off too much body or taking pictures and then posting it on social media or flaunting around, walking around the pool as a sexual being, you are becoming a sexual being. Mm -hmm. Let's just admit that. Let's recognize that. Let's not make that a taboo subject. We know it's true, and we, once again, we want to be image bearers of a holy God. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is not about Susie coming down hard on bikinis or, you know, just being overly legalistic or uh, I'm in my mid-40s, closer to the late 40s now, and so I'm just old-fashioned. No, it's not about that. Trust me, I talk to young men. I talk to men of Mm -hmm. all ages bikinis are a temptation and so let's just think here for a moment and I don't know who's listening and so I'm not here to judge your heart but if people you respect have been telling you advising you that you should be careful about what you wear when you're going to the beach or swimming that bikinis are a temptation and you continue to wear them. I'm just asking you to check your heart. And is there a spirit of rebellion in your heart? Or is there a spirit of selfishness that you don't really care? Or is there uh, a, 
a blindness where you refuse to really understand how this impacts men? Or do you care more about what the culture is doing, what all the other women are doing, than you care about who you are reflecting? Those are just a few questions I have. And once again, I don't know you. I don't know who's listening. And so I'm not uh, in any way trying to say I know your heart. But I do strongly just encourage you to reflect your creator, to be an image bearer, and consider how uh, the things that you wear really can either show that you are a beauty, beautiful woman that is reflecting the beauty of God or that you're actually more concerned about yourself and, and your peers and what they think and you're not really seeking to live a holy life. Uh, and so uh, as you do that, you might also want to even check your movements in the mirror, mm-hmm. right? What happens when you bend down? You know, are you showing off a bunch of cleavage? Or as you, you know, look at yourself, are you actually showing off more of your body than you should? Uh, bend over, raise your arms, turn around, check yourself out. Uh, not for the purpose of being prideful and saying, ooh, I look good. <laughs> but for the purpose of saying, what do other people see when yeah. they, they see me? Do yeah. I reflect our creator? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a big, long conversation. And it's not necessarily a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, who really likes to talk about these things? I'm not here to try and condemn any woman. But I do urge you, I, I have a huge desire to urge you to consider this topic. It's not about legalism. It's about reflecting our creator. And so I just um, encourage you to consider that. And remember that our beauty is fleeting. Inward beauty is imperishable. Um, And so work on the heart. And as you work on your heart, as you surrender to the Lord, I think it will also be reflected in your outward beauty. Mm. Well, thanks for for sharing your heart there, Susie. and speaking truth into what, what you're seeing around, I'm seeing it too as well. And um, I think just the call to um, to higher level, level of modesty to be different than the rest of the world. And it might mean um, being creative in your shopping choices. Um, maybe you have to search a little bit more for clothes that are, um, that cover more of you. I know um, my daughter and I, have had a hard time finding shorts for her lately but um anyway yeah so thank you for that so we'll go back to our verse um the second half of the verse says she laughs at the time to come and we're going to look at two different meanings for this first she understands that aging is inevitable and she isn't concerned about trying to stop it she doesn't worship youth or beauty and the bible tells us that beauty is fleeting Our culture is looking for eternal youth from makeup or plastic surgery, maybe from working out or uh, counting calories to try to to slow time down. Um, Susie, you and I would be considered middle-aged. We're both in our mid-40s. I have a head full of gray hair, and I know that it shows that I'm not in my 20s or 30s anymore, and I'm, I'm okay with that. How can we help women embrace aging as well as honor those women who are older than us? Yeah, great questions here. And so, yeah, it it is interesting. She's able to laugh at the time to come. And she's not worried about growing older. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. I think we've all known 
older women who are just so graceful. And yeah, they might have wrinkles and lots of gray hair, but they're beautiful because they love the Lord. And that's that's what I want to grow into, right? And uh, I do believe uh, we do have to be stewards of our bodies. And we do this without idolizing our bodies shouldn't idolize our our beauty we shouldn't idolize our health but we should be stewards that means we take care of ourselves and and then I also just want to say there is nothing wrong with dyeing our hair or putting on makeup or um, you know if we've gained weight losing a little bit of weight those are all part of stewardship but we do want to make sure that that's not the focus that those things aren't becoming an idol in our lives. And I think one thing we can ask ourselves is, hey, if if I suddenly couldn't dye my hair anymore and my hair started going gray and you, Sandy, you mentioned you decided to, you just decided to grow hair, grow, grow hair. <laughs> no, you already have lots of hair, but grow gray. That's mm-hmm. a tongue twister. Wow. <laughs> and women will do that at different ages. Mm-hmm. And when you're ready, hey, go for it. But if you are still dyeing your hair, as I do, I just had my roots done the other day uh, because I'm not ready for the gray hair look yet. But we do have to ask ourselves, if I couldn't, if I actually didn't have access to dye my hair anymore, if I could not afford it, would I be ashamed to go out in public? If I was, that would be a problem. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm idolizing my youth too much if that was the case. And... I think we also want to, uh, you asked, like, how can we honor those who are aging? And I think we honor them by respecting them. We can ask them questions about, um, you know, how they have responded to life, how they've been able to raise their children, how, um, how they honor their husbands, or just different questions. Show them that you honor their age and their life experience if they have lived a godly life and that you want to learn from them. And I love just the idea of having friendships and relationships with a variety of ages. So let's not just get so stuck with hanging out with people who are in our same age and same category of life. Let's have a variety of of relationships. Let's not be afraid or look down on the older women or name them to be old-fashioned. I think they actually understand us a whole lot better than we think they do. Mm -hmm. Because although the outward expressions might be different than what they were used to. We all have the same heart attitudes and struggles, right? There's a lot of patterns in our human behavior. They haven't changed. Like I look mm-hmm. at God's word written, mm-hmm. you know, a few thousand years ago, yeah. several thousand years ago, and it's still relevant for mm-hmm. me today. And so I'm sure that the woman that's 20 or 30 years older than me still understands my heart and mm-hmm. s- she understands my struggles. So let's not be so quick to call them old-fashioned let's learn from them I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot we can do and then even when it comes to aging being able to laugh at the time to come as we've talked about like women and people in general idolize health Mm -hmm. and it's because many of them are very afraid of dying and they don't know what comes after death and so they just try to stay youthful and young and healthy as long as possible once again being a steward is one thing idolizing it and living in fear of death is a totally different situation. And I was thinking of Psalm 139 verses 15 to 16 that says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret 
intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And this is just a reminder that God knows. He knows the day we will be conceived, and he knows the day that we will die. And we we are called to be stewards, but we actually can't control that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as we are being obedient in taking care of our bodies, we have no control. We can be the healthiest people on earth, and we could get killed in a car accident, or we could get cancer. I've known people who are very, very healthy and seek to live balanced lives of eating healthy foods and exercising, they still get cancer. Mm-hmm. One day we will all die. We can't stop that. And we can't necessarily even have control about how long we will live. And so living in fear of that and in trying to control it is actually not going to be beneficial. Rather, we need to make sure that we are ready for death. And being ready for death is having a relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that we are forgiven and eternally accepted by Christ through his blood and death on the cross through his resurrection. And when we trust in him, we know that we will be with him in eternity and we don't actually have to live in fear Mm. of dying. Mm -hmm. And a beautiful, a beautiful eternity awaiting as well. Um, So the second way we want to look at this part of the verse, uh, she laughs at the time to come. Um, I know there are many rumors going around about um, the things that are coming down the pipeline, um, you know, with the government or with uh, World Economic Forum or whatever it may be. Um, So this woman is not (laughs) laughing with a crazy look in her eyes, um, but she is laughing because she's ready to face anything with God. There's a peace that laughs in the face of this anxiety-inducing news. And as we go to scripture to remind ourselves of the truth that God is with us even through the valley of the shadow of death, how can we practically live this out? Um, What have you done, Susie, to remind yourself or how have you counseled others when panic is just at the ready, just waiting to pull you down? Yeah, well, I think recognizing that probably to some extent, we've all faced anxiety and probably even some panic. I know I've had panic in my life and uh, it's because there's a threat or a perceived threat that we are facing. And um, it's our response to that that shows who we are and who we're trusting in. And so if you are in a state of panic or anxiety, I think we need to ask ourselves, okay, what is the root of this? Like, why am I feeling this panic right now? And then we work ourselves through that. And I think one of the things we want to remember is that we do need to take care of our whole body, soul, and spirit. And um, that means we want to be eating healthy, sleeping well, Mm -hmm. reducing stress, all those things Mm -hmm. contribute to anxiety. But we also don't just want to blame it on the physical. We have to admit that sometimes it's our soul, our spirit that's off. And that means we need to start by saying, is there any sin in my life? Because sin and guilt will cause a lot of anxiety, right? We won't have peace if we are living in sin. So start by that Mm -hmm. and then remove idols what kind of idols do you have in your life and i think it's often our panic or our fear that reveals the idols to us because uh in fear we're we're afraid of losing that what we love the most Mm -hmm. right 
And so do we have an idol of security or money or relationships? Um, And if we do, then we need to replace those with worship of God. And uh, we want to make sure that as we're thinking about that. So when you're facing anxiety or panic, and I had to do this recently because I was feeling quite anxious about something and I had to ask myself, okay, what is the root of this? Like, why is this causing me so much anxiety? And one of the reasons was uh, certainly I was concerned about how the relationships in my life would be affected by this situation. So I need to put those relationships in their proper place and say God's on top. I trust God in this. And another uh, situation was I was, it was a financial concern. I didn't want to have to pay more than I needed to. And so I need to put money in its proper place, knowing that God is my provider and he has abundantly provided for me. And he's going to continue to take care of me. Mm -hmm. And another uh, fear associated with that was just convenience. I didn't want to be inconvenienced. And so do I, I have to ask myself, okay, do I love comfort too much? Mm. And so in all those things, I had to come to the conclusion and say, you know what, even if it's the worst case scenario, it's okay. I'm going to trust God with this. And if God allows this to happen in my life, then I know that he has a plan and a purpose for it. Maybe he needs to teach me something, or maybe I just need to reflect my relationship with him through this situation and have peace despite annoying circumstances Mm. or hurtful or difficult circumstances, maybe I'm just called to reflect his beauty through all of this. And working through that and processing through that actually really helped me. It didn't change the situation necessarily, but it helped me to process it and be prepared to make the right decision. And uh, I think we need to do that Mm -hmm. when we are facing anxiety, not just to pray and ask God to take it away, but to actually say what is causing it, what's the root of this, and then to deal with that and choose to trust God. I think it's that's a huge thing. Choosing to, chest, uh, cho- choosing to trust God and then choosing to obey him, right? Not just going with our instincts or our fears and trying to control them, but trusting God in all those things. And uh, I think Philippians 4, 48 is just such a, beautiful description of how to respond to anxiety and it says rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice so it's repeated so that means rejoicing is a super important thing so think about the good things and then let your reasonableness be known to everyone Mm. the lord is at hand so when we're feeling anxious are we going to get all frazzled and stressed and frantic that's not being reasonable let other people know that you have peace even in difficult circumstances, knowing that the Lord is at hand. He is with you. So we don't need to be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So talk to God. Tell him what you need. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He actually does. And so then we are able to remove our anxious thoughts, replace them with trust. And what do we fill our mind with? We've removed the fearful thoughts, the anxious thoughts, the the controlling thoughts. We can't just leave our mind empty. At this point, we need to replace it. And verse 8 tells us, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these mm. things. Right? Like, 
Replace mm. your fear with worship, with truth, with goodness. And you really will find that you will become less anxious and even your panic can be subdued. Um, I know panic, people who struggle with panic, it can be very, very intense. But this works. Uh, God is faithful. It's not about just it working, but it's it's who we are and it's who God is. And then I think we also have to inform our minds. So if there's something that's making you feel anxious and saying like, what if this happens? What if this happens? Well, try to find out as much information as possible. Mm-hmm. We don't need to over-inform ourselves because that can sometimes cause more anxiety, right? But inform yourself. Get the information you need, and many times that will help. But above it all, even if the information that you get, and it is concerning information, Mm -hmm. what do we know about God? And I think that some of the things that have helped me is to know that uh, he is a God of providence. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jerry Bridges in his book, Trusting God, describes providence this way. He says, God's providence is his constant care and his absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and the good of his people. So it's his constant care. He is Mm. constant. He never forgets. He never steps out of the picture just for a moment. It's constant. He's caring for us constantly, and he's ruling over us. And it's always for his glory and for the good of his people. And so he's not going to do something dumb, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's not who God is. Right. And then, secondly, understanding the sovereignty of God. And Jerry Springer, or, ugh, where did that come from? <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I'm really not him. <laughs> Jerry Bridges. I'm reading the, the the footnotes for this book, and he, he wrote this book. Uh, the press that it was written in was from Colorado Springs. So oh, uh, I'm messing things up here. So, no, it's Jerry Bridges <laughs> in his book, Trusting God. And uh, this is what he says. It says, The scriptures teach us three essential truths about God, truths we must believe if we are to trust in him him in adversity and they are that god is completely sovereign god is infinite in wisdom and god is perfect Mm. in love and so god's sovereignty this is how he describes it he says his absolute independence to do as he pleases and his absolute control over the actions of his creatures no creature person or empire can either thwart his will or act outside Mm. the bounds of his will And so if I understand that, then I know that whatever happens is part of his will. Mm -hmm. And he's not an evil God that's purposely just trying to make our life difficult. He is infinite in wisdom. He knows a lot more than we do. He knows, you know, the future. He knows the past. He has an understanding of everything. And so we can trust him. And he is also perfect in love. He's a Mm -hmm. loving God. He's a good God. He's not a big meanie trying to make our life difficult. But when difficult things happen, he has a purpose and a plan. And we don't always have to know exactly what that purpose and plan Mm -hmm. is. We just need to trust him. And I think the heart that trusts him and is able to choose to overcome panic, choose to overcome anxiety by knowing who God is, that he is provident a God Mm. of providence, that he is a God who is sovereign, he is good, he is loving, then that's actually when our inner beauty begins to shine. We talked a lot about our outward beauty and how to dress with dignity and beauty to bear the image of Christ. But it's in our fears when we're able to trust that our inner beauty shines. Mm. And it's because inner beauty is is someone who has a heart that fully trusts god Mm. we have peace with god no matter 
what. Mm. And so, so yes, those are some ways that we can laugh at the time to come. We don't mm. have to live in fear and panic. Right. We can trust in God. Mm-hmm. And almost laugh at the enemy's schemes because we know that God is bigger and, like you said, He's in control of everything. Well, we can carry ourselves with strength and dignity knowing that the Lord Himself is with us in every situation. So we want to thank you for joining us once again as we rebuild biblical womanhood from the foundation up.